The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. With all of the competitiveness and creativity in the world, how is our company and our brand going to pull ahead or stay ahead of our competitors? To answer that question, Denise Blazovic. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be here, Joel. This is a big problem. I, I mean, you know, everybody wants to be the, uh, the, the best, the smartest, the fastest, the something est. Uh, and unfortunately, they, they kind of end up being sometimes the cutest, which is not always a great thing. But, you know, how is it that, that some companies, you know, just get brands that become much more valuable than other brands? And, and just kind of give us an overview of how this all works. Well, I, that's a great question. And I think that the companies who really value their brand as an asset, a tangible asset versus just the name of a product or service or company are the ones who look at it from the foundational level, who say, wow, if, if we want to be not a commodity, if we want people to pay more for us to seek us out there, then we need to make this brand mean something. And that's not just what a logo looks like. And it's not even what the name really is. Yeah, the name can be important, but it's really the meaning of the brand behind the name. So they invest in really figuring out what's important about their brand. How are they different from their competitors in a way that's authentic to them and that is relevant to their target market? You know, when you put those pieces together, then you have this alignment around something really special. And all of your marketing activity is rooted in something that can push the brand forward. And it's really an asset ultimately that so, so, you want to this value from. Let me understand a couple of things. I mean, Fortune 500 companies do a great job of this. I mean, they, I mean, they have departments, they have law firms. I mean, they, they've got so much resources, but the middle-sized companies, you know, that, that whole tier in the middle, you know, 10 million to a billion dollars that, that kind of listen to our show you know, how do they deal with this problem? What are some of the questions they need to ask? What does it mean to, you know, really have more meaning about your brand than just what the logo looks like? Because I think a lot of people say, oh, I just got a new logo. Now we have a new brand. You know, I get what you're saying. They're not the same thing. But how does somebody examine it? What questions should they be asking? You know, yeah. give us a little bit of how and, and a little more depth. I think, what they really need to look at is not just what, what they make or what they do or what service they offer. They have to look at what makes their particular business special versus competitors. Are they thought leaders in something? Do they offer something different? And if not, 
how can they make it even slightly different? You know, there's a technique called micro weirding, which lets you imbue just a little bit of something special into what you do that may or may not be relevant to the product or service itself, but that lets people go, oh, that's kind of interesting. I remember that they do that. And ultimately, the easiest way to do that is to look at how you can really be different from everyone else in your field, right? So if you look at that particular question, how are we different? How can we be different? How can we be different in a way that means something? Whether it's small or big, that little hook is important because then you can go all in on it and then you can be noticed. It's otherwise very difficult. The world, the internet, everywhere we're looking for information is chock full of other people, like you said, five, Fortune 500 companies who have much larger budgets. I mean, they can just bludgeon you over the head with messaging. And even if you don't like their brand more or don't believe in it more, ultimately you become familiar with it because you hear it so much that you go, yeah, I, I feel comfortable with that. Right. So I actually think that mid-sized brands have an incredible opportunity. They're much more agile. They can really look at things and, and turn on a dime. Sometimes they do that too much where they don't really give themselves a chance to, to grow as a brand. But if they dig in from a foundational level, instead of just going, oh, let's, let's try this, try that. And they figure out, take the time to ask themselves, why are they different? What can they offer that is meaningful? What's authentic to them? And you can do that by... You can tie into a cause that's meaningful to you or to your audience. You can offer something special that is unexpected, but that is delightful. You know, those kinds of things. In addition to, of course, you know, table stakes, right? You have to do a good job. You have to have decent quality. You have to have decent pricing. I mean, you also can go the other way. You can be the cheapest. You can be the most expensive. Those are things to go in on too, but other people can come out and do that too. So that's, that's not a real emotional connection. Ultimately, you want to have that emotional connection to your brand. This sounds a lot more like art than science. <laughs> yeah, and it is. You know, like I, the data doesn't lie. Data is important. We hear about data all the time, big data, but big ideas are important too. Really big heart and big data together. I think that is what makes a brand special. You know, I look at one of my personal favorite brands, and this is not a company I work with, it's just one that I absolutely adore, is Bomba's Socks. And when I first found out about them, you know, I was kind of in Facebook and seeing their videos and their ads, and, you know, it, it intrigued me that they donate socks for every pair of socks they sell to the homeless because the homeless don't get enough socks because nobody gives their old disgusting socks to, you know, homeless shelters and you don't buy new socks for them. So I thought that was interesting. When I clicked through, I thought it was pretty pricey. And, you know, I said, no, no, thank you. I'm not going to buy these. And then they had very smart digital advertising, using the data coming after me, making sure that I didn't I really want to check out these socks. And then I went back and I heard the messaging again. It really pulled at my heartstrings. And I thought, I'm not buying four pairs of socks. I'm buying eight pairs, four for me and four for someone else. So, you know, worth trying. I mean, fast forward five years later, I can't tell you. That's the only socks I buy for me, for my family. And I just heard something on the radio that they've now donated over 40 million pairs of socks. I mean, what wow. an amazing wow. thing. And yes, they're great quality. And yes, all these other things that tick the rational reasons, you know, for me to buy. But ultimately, it was the heartstrings. You know, um, yeah, I, 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 I like that kind of thing. I mean, that's a, it's a cool hook. It's, it's something. And actually, it would help you go from eight down to four or from four to eight. So you don't feel as bad about paying whatever the price is. That's a smart thing, too. Um, you know, but I, I kind of worry that a lot of these uh, middle-sized companies just throw a bunch of junk at the wall and mm -hmm. see what sticks. And there's probably a little bit more, a little more science to it than that. And the other thing I just heard you say is it's not only about the message, it's about having really, really smart delivery of that message. Like you got to use the, uh, 
the internet, the intelligence and, and all the different, uh, you know, internet strategies that there are to make sure that your message is hitting the right people at the right time. And we could do a whole thing about what that all looks like. But um, th this is a big and confusing area to people who don't specialize in this. So kind of what's like the first step if a company says, you know, maybe our brand doesn't really speak about who we are, or maybe it doesn't do the right job. What's the first thing? How do they recognize it? And what do they do first? You know, it's, it's, kind of the hard truth, right? To, to pull all of your information, everything you're putting out there, anything that your potential audience can see and do the same thing, go through that experience for all of your competitors and, and don't tell yourself the story, really look at it, go, where, where do we stack up here? Because if, if you're not being honest with yourself at that level, none of your marketing is going to be substantially better because you're really marketing to yourself instead of someone else. So doing that kind of brand audit and getting kind of trying to get that cold hard fact or bringing in an expert who can do that for you. Um, that's the place to start because you're absolutely right. What you were saying, you know, throwing too much at the wall, whether it comes from, uh, to like different idea, different idea, different idea. They're just trying and guessing, right? Being able to look, see where you really stack up, figure out a place in the market that you can carve out that other people aren't in. And, and I always have this caveat with that. Like you definitely want to be different, but being different just in any way that isn't necessarily right for you can be harmful. You know, when we do work with clients, we do these quadrants and, and matrices where we look at where all the comp competition is and not just the competition that does exactly what you do, but other things that might take the place of what you do. So if you're a snack bar, it's not just other snack bars. It might be apples, right? <laughs> or other things that people eat, really looking out there, looking at the opportunity that no one else is claiming. What is that space? And sometimes that space isn't being claimed for a really good reason because it would be a terrible idea to be in that space. So you have to look at that too. But once you find that space that is, hmm, that really could be owned by us, what do we need to do to be authentic in that space? Can we really do that? And then how do we express that? That's one part of it. Sticking with that, making sure that message- Wait, so wait, let's, let's, let's talk about authenticity because authenticity yeah. is like a big buzzword these days. And uh, like I got a friend that uh, recently wrote a great new book and all this stuff, but but the title just doesn't remind me of the person's personality. I mean, it just it, it's a, it just it doesn't it doesn't connect for me, you know, to me. I mean, so I I kind of wonder, you know, where you know where's the line on authenticity? I mean, one of the I, things. I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, one of the no. things people have always said to me is that you know when I speak on stage, I'm the same at dinner. And, and they like that. I mean, that's, but, but that's just me. I'm not the best speaker in the world, but I'm just the same as I am right now. We're just the same. So how do people kind of get that authenticity going and how does that work? You know, it's one of the great ways to look at it is, is to look at your core values and those shouldn't be aspirational, right? They should be really reflective of who your organization is. Are there things you can dig into based on those that you can really feel good about and be smart about executing so that you can stake a claim in that world of authenticity. You can't just, you know, expand your sphere of credibility beyond what is a natural extension, right? That doesn't make any sense. And no one's going to believe it. You're going to spend all your money doing something that doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, fast forward three years, our rebranding didn't work. Well, it's not the rebranding that didn't work. You know, being credible is important. Feeling good that you really can, like, you know, you can run it by your team, run it by everyone in the company. Does this sound like us? Could this be us? 
would you like this to be us? That's important questions to ask. And I think those are very common sense kind of questions. It's not just the marketing department, right? It's, it's the whole organization. And, and one thing about the word organization, right? It comes from organism. It's a living, breathing thing. You know, I spent a lot of years in the newspaper business years ago. And one of the things that I remember is that uh, in order for a story to kind of grab onto somebody's attention and take hold, it, beside hopefully being true, which they're not always that true, but, uh, you know, it has to be believable. People have to believe that it's reasonable. Uh, and, and it reminds me of uh, when Bill Clinton was running for president. And, and somebody said, well, he used to smoke marijuana and that's a terrible thing. And, and everybody just immediately believed they looked at him and they go, yeah, that I'm sure that guy probably really did smoke marijuana. And so Bill Clinton said, well, George Bush smoked marijuana too. And everybody looked at George, George Bush and they just laughed. They said, that guy didn't do that. <laughs> so whether it was true or not, nobody believed it. They believed one thing and they didn't believe another thing. So, you know, it, it seems to me like your, uh, you know, your, your authenticity, whatever your, your position is, it has to be something that the, that the world will believe is true. And, it, you know, so it has to be true, but it also has to be saying that people will believe is true, which is not the same thing, right? Right. I, well, and, and more than ever, it has to be true now because people can debunk you very easily, right? You know, if you're saying that you're organic and you're not really, you're greenwashing or, or whatever it is. So that is really important. I think the truth in advertising uh, has a new meaning these days. And I'm really happy about it because I really don't like when you see things out and you feel like you're just kind of getting that slimy feeling because that wasn't true. Um, but what's also important is not the whole world has to believe it. Only the people that you're really trying to connect with need to believe it. So it doesn't matter if someone over here who is not your marketplace either doesn't care, doesn't believe it or both. It doesn't matter. But what does matter in addition to figuring that out for your brand is realizing that it's not just going to be that way forever. You need to do checkups, right? We just, we're coming out of a pandemic. It's really important for us to look at, okay, here's my brand positioning. Is this still relevant, right? The world has changed. Has my brand changed? Has my audience changed? Has the opportunity for me to connect with them, the way we distribute? Like what has changed? And, and really embracing that and, and, and doing those pulses and kind of having that cycle feedback. Not that you need to do it every single day. You want to make sure that you give yourself runway to build it out, test it, optimize as you go. But then once in a while, really get back down to, to brass tacks and say, is, is this still right for us? Yeah, that's um that, that that's an interesting thing. So it only has to work for the people that you care about it working for. I mean, it yeah. doesn't have to be believable by everybody. I, I get that. That's that's a really, really good point. It's a really good way to narrow the focus. But we live in such a polarized world with, with the politics. And not every product is political, but things do kind of, everything kind of gets political a little because, you know, some people have opinions about the ecological products or they have about all different kinds of things, whatever those things are. And, uh, you know, and that's a moving target. I mean, over time, it's kind of what you're saying. Over time, people's opinions about things change. So uh, how often should people be doing these checkups? Yeah, well, we like to make sure that we check up at least every three years on a full brand level. It's important to just kind of once in a while, even, you know, during the year, every quarter, take a look at your, at your brand manifesto, make sure everything looks good, but not from a, a whole like drill down perspective. You need to give your, your stuff time to work unless a very unique circumstance happens, right? There's a big shakeup in the marketplace. You have a pandemic, for instance. You know, when something major happens, I don't care if you've just redone your brand, you need to re-examine it and make sure you're still okay. You don't want to go three years down the wrong road. What about uh, what about a crisis? I mean, have, have you dealt with a lot of crises? 
Yeah, of and, course. And their impact. Uh, yes, uh, and it's um, you know the best thing that can happen is is for your audience to never feel the impact of that crisis when at all possible, right? That you can do what it takes as a brand to to mitigate that as much as you can. Um, but yeah, I've I've dealt with a lot of crises. I've helped brands deal with them and and come out better on the other end. It is not easy. It is certainly not fun. And preparing as much as possible for different scenarios is, you know, brand preparation is something that a lot of people don't think about. And it definitely requires extra budget because, you know, maybe you didn't put that in your marketing plan, but having it ready, you know, having at least the basic idea of what you would do if is important. So how many, uh, like, like how many brands that you've dealt with or just uh, the, the things that you've seen has, has a crisis changed the direction of a brand? I mean, I mean, if, if something happens to a company, I mean, does it often force them off their track and in, in a different direction or, or can they course correct or do they have to kill the brand and start a new brand? I mean, you know, I, I just. All of the above, right. I, I've, I've been a part of all of the above, but I would say most of the time um, it either results in a course correction or an opportunity to launch something else. And, you know, for the brands that are proactive, that see whether the problem is their own and, and owning it and, and, you know, taking responsibility for it and, and finding a way to come out better on the other end because of a very intentional action. People love that. Everyone loves a comeback. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, uh, I, I love these ideas. I think they're, they're awesome ideas. And I'm just sitting here thinking about uh, presidents of companies and CEOs of companies and, not all of them are marketers. No. <laughs> Some of these people are uh, engineers or, or they come out of accounting or they, they come out of some other area that's uh, a little bit more black and white and may, maybe they don't exactly know. Who owns these responsibilities in the company? And, and you know, if the CEO is not entirely sensitive, whose job is it to make that person sensitive? Well, I, you know, ultimately, right, whoever is the visionary in the company. And, and, and if it's not the CEO, is it the CMO? Is it the CEO? Who is really leading the vision of the company? That's, that's really who it lays with. And, and if that person is not um, a marketer by nature, which is absolutely fine, they should really be smart enough to recognize that and to get somebody who can embrace their vision and translate that on a, on a marketing and brand building basis. Well... <laughs> I guess some companies do better than others. So let's go back to the, the brand. I was kind of a little detour, but let's go back to the, the brand kind of, uh, we, we put it together. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to kind of do like an audit. We're going to take a look at the thing. I mean, if a company wants to really re-examine a, a, a rebranding of some kind, what, what are the next steps? You kind of got started and I kind of took you off the track. I'm sorry, but look, what are some of the tracks that some of the things that they need to be thinking about? Um, we, we really like to, at that point, pull together as much data as possible. And I don't mean, I mean, yes, I do mean data. Every company has tons of data and data in the industry and that's all important. But I also mean the data from the human capital that is working at that company. So taking representatives from throughout the company who are key stakeholders and represent important, um, aspects of the brand and picking their brains, asking them all about like their honest feedback about what they feel like the brand is right now and how the company's doing, getting insights from what they've heard from customers or people who haven't bought, very important to know what those people who haven't bought from them think or who used to buy from them think. Um, taking all of that data, and it's not what we tend to think of as data, right? We tend to think of like a lot of numbers and all kinds of digital backend stuff. 
But taking that into consideration and really starting to pull together the threads of different kinds of words that we're hearing, different insights that we're seeing, pulling at those threads of those insights, that's critical. Um, and one of the things uh, that we talk about a lot is, uh, you know, Michelangelo, as, as rumor has it, when uh, someone asked him, like, how did you do that about the David, right? You know, one of the most beautiful pieces of artwork ever. And he said, I, I just kept chipping away at everything that wasn't David, right? Like being able to, that's all, that's all he did. But being able to do that and chip away and chip away and pull that, pull this insight and, and finally reveal what this masterpiece of a brand can be. That's step one. Step two is letting it be that, right? If Michelangelo had created that and then kept it in his basement, very, very large basement, um, then nobody would have seen it. So it really wouldn't have mattered that he did that. So you have to then get it out there and let it shine in all of its unfig-leafed glory. About, um, this kind of makes me wonder about uh, B2B versus B2C. You know, when you're when you're asking questions, you know, asking questions in a B2B environment is entirely different than B2C environment. So, you know, how what differences do you notice or have you experienced and, and what are things that you can share? So I hear this question a lot. Um, I've owned my agency for 20 years and I don't think a day has gone by that I haven't answered this question. And my answer is always it's not B2B and it's not B2C. I mean, I understand that it is, but really it's B2H because we're business to human brand to human. We are not marketing to computers yet. So we have to look at what connects emotionally, what differentiates us that we can authentically own that's relevant to our audience, whether it's a buying for a business or buying for themselves. And when has it even been more smushed together than in the past 18 months when B2B and B2C were at the same place at their kitchen counter working from their <laughs> laptop, right? I mean, it really, everything has blended. The world has come to that point. So a brand connecting to a human, yes, the questions may be different. It's a different sale, but ultimately we have to get through. People don't want you to sell to them, right? They want to buy from something they believe in. They want to buy from a brand that makes sense to them, that aligns with what they're looking for, that they don't feel is going to pose a big risk, right? And that's another way to differentiate your brand. What, what What's the thing that you're going to do to mitigate risk? Are you going to offer an incredibly... Uh, surprising guarantee that's going to say, okay, great. I don't have any risk here. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Or are you going to have uh, people take on that risk themselves? Let's um, another, another little shift gears here. Uh, we talked at the very beginning about commodity products. Um, a lot, a lot of companies have commodity products. I mean, how do, how does branding work in a commodity environment? Because a lot of products, are not easily differentiated like services are and like other kinds of things. Uh, and, and if they're not commodities now, a lot of things become commodities pretty soon. I mean, after a while, they, they will. So mm -hmm. how, how does that work? Now, you know, when you are in um, a business where you have like the CPG world, right? Okay. consumer packaged goods, that is the land of something comes out, it's hot, and then everyone else creates one and now it's a commodity, right? Like that's what happens. <laughs> So how do you stand out? The brand is like more important than ever in that instance, because people are loyal to brands and not loyal to commodities. Commodities, by definition, is just something you can, you can buy. And if you're just going to buy something, get me the best deal. Three cents cheaper over there. Got it. You know, I'm only going to buy you when you're on deal. Well, does that mean my brand is just being on deal? That, that's not really appealing. Right? We need to make sure that we are creating, again, it comes back to that emotional connection and you are able to get a little bit of that mind share by being different so someone can notice you, being authentic so that you can back up whatever it is that you've got their attention with. 
right? And then continuing to live that brand. I think that when we, and I'm not saying, please don't mistake me for saying that every brand has to be saving the world or the animals or anything at all, or you know, it could be saving money, but standing for something. And it, even if it's like, I, I go to this place and I get smoothies and those smoothies are just the best smoothies ever. And they're more expensive. And they put this one thing in there that no one else does. Maybe that's what it stands for. They put things in no one else does. I don't know. It could be anything, but making sure that people know that you are different for a reason. I always go back to, you can have a brand by design or a brand by default. If you have a brand by default, you are a commodity and other people are saying what you stand for. If you have a brand by design, you actually have a brand that you can charge more money for, that people will seek you out. Um, and if you are fortunate enough to get to cult level, if you have a cult brand, well, you know, that's a whole different world than, than you've got the opportunity. What, 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 would, that, would that be like Apple? Is that a cult brand? Apple is absolutely a cult brand, right? <laughs> I, here I am with all my Apple things. I'm talking to you on an Apple computer. I'm, I've been an Apple person for, I, I don't think I've ever used a PC um, actually. But I get very excited when a new feature comes out on my phone and, you know, my Android friends go, we've had that for five years. I'm like, yes, but look, look at this. It's here. And, <laughs> but what have they done? They make it so beautiful and easy. And they tell me how beautiful and easy it is. And all of their stuff works easily together. And I don't need to be a programmer. Yes, I get that if I were a little more techie, I'd probably want an Android. But that's not how I identify. And they've done a pretty good job of getting a whole huge share. Yeah. What are, what are other companies that have uh, cult status? Oh, there are so many. Oh, well, not, I shouldn't say so many, but you see, you see certain beauty products that people will seek out um, and they will pay anything. They'll go on eBay. If something, this is always a great one. When a brand discontinues a product and suddenly you see people buying it up like crazy on eBay and so, reintroduce that. How, how, here's an you know, idea. That just <laughs> happened. It just <laughs> happened with Coca-Cola discontinued tab. Uh, which is a, a soft drink from like the 1960s. And nobody really liked it that much. But <laughs> they, they, they found out in, in the last six months, I mean, cases are going for like hundreds of, of dollars. <laughs> people, there, there are people who just love this product. And that, that's such a funny thing. Yeah, no, it's, and you have opportunity happen with Twinkie too, right? Like that, when you have something that people, again, it's an emotional connection. And why, like, I guess the taste of tab, I've tasted tab. I don't like it, but some people love it and it means something to them. So why, why not have this opportunity to, again, be somehow differentiated? It doesn't mean having to be the best. It just means being different in a way that's relevant. I go back to authentic to you, relevant to your audience. I love that. Uh, authentic, authentic to you, uh, authentic to you and relevant to the audience. That's it. It's the it's the winning, very simple combination. Now it's not easy to figure out, yeah. <laughs> but it's worth taking the time to figure out. Like like most things, easier said than done, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Although sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes you overthink it. You're like, could it really be this? We've got to keep pushing, keep pushing, and ultimately, sometimes you go back. No, it really is this, and and go with that if that's the obvious answer. Yeah, you know, I wonder if uh, like some of these cult deals, can companies do that on purpose, or does it? You know, I, I used to say to like venture capitalists, okay, on a scale of one to 10, uh, you know, what kind of companies uh, do you look for? And, you know, companies that have the potential to be, a, you know, like a, a seven, eight, nine, whatever on a scale of one to 10, a 10 is like a unicorn. It, it just, it's, it's, it, you can't predict it. It just kind of happens by itself. Is that cult thing just something that just sort of happens by itself and you can't predict it or, or what? You know, I, many times, you know, 
the cult thing can be rooted in something that was, you know, a legacy item that sort of unknown that other people weren't, other brands weren't trying to develop competitors for. And it just sort of started owning this area of the population that sort of went to it all the time. It got handed down generationally. That can be one kind of cult. But a lot of times what we'll see is, you know, a brand that comes out of the gate, really only not caring about getting the whole population. They're very targeted, right? I only want this right here. And I'm going to serve this right here. And I'm not worried about cancel culture. I'm not worried about, you know, what people are going to say. This is who I am. I'm going to polarize. And it's just going to be me and, and the handful of people that love me. And those handful of people that love them have other handfuls of people or handsful of people that agree with them. And, and that's, you know, when you have that sort of, you know, you can't make viral, but when you make something really good and different that appeals so strongly to people and that, yes, you're saying, does it happen on purpose sometimes, right? Because you're, you're seeding this idea of like, oh, not everyone's going to like this. You like this because you're like us, but people aren't going to like this. So, you know. But that, that by itself, you know, that is a natural selection process and that mm -hmm. makes people want it more. You yeah. know, when you say that, uh, you know, most people aren't going to like it, but I think you will, or, or something like that, that, that uh, you know, and then you got, of course, the fear of missing out and all the other things that, I mean, there's a lot of things. I think good marketers are very, very good at, uh, you know, at spinning us and pointing us in the direction they want us to go and telling us to run and we do it. There's I mean, a lot I, of psychology. I, yeah. I mean, I, there's psychology, there's technology. I mean, I think there's a lot to it. And, mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of these people are really good at it. Yeah. And, you know, in the end, doing something is better than doing nothing, right? Like I, I like to make this analogy a lot. If I want to get in better shape and I could spend six months comparing every single diet and exercise technique that's out there, but ultimately if during that six months, I would have just done any of them consistently, I'd be in a great place six months later. So I think people tend to like kind of get this paralysis of like, we need to do everything exactly right. And we can't move at all. Be moving, be flexible, but also be focused on we need to figure out our messaging. We need to figure out what we stand for. And now, now you play with what are we going to do to get that out there, right? You know what it's about. Your marketing can work much harder when everyone is aligned on what your brand should be. You know, then you can try different things, but you're not just throwing random things against the wall. You're saying, okay, we tried this messaging over here. Nope, doesn't work over here. Let's try it. Oh, yeah, people over here like it this way. Great. We'll put more dollars towards that. Ultimately, that's the goal. You know, I, I think that's the inside track. And we're always looking for the inside track, the best, smartest, or fastest way to get something done. And that is, first of all, do something instead of do nothing. And you, know, you don't just sit around and think all the time. And if you just keep in mind that, you know, being authentic to you and relevant to your audience, I mean, that that by itself is, is an enormous first step. Maybe survey some of your people. I mean, I think you've dished a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I think there's a lot of ideas here that people could use uh, and they could put to work. And they, they just, but, you know, back to the, the, the take action, they just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's easy to, you know, sign up for membership at the gym. I sponsored many gyms that I never showed up. At. It's hard to actually go and do it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I thought gyms were kind of going to be done, but it looks like uh, they're starting to reopen now and uh, oh, people are right. coming back and the home fitness, uh, you know, opportunity. I mean, it's, it's a thing, but it's uh, you know, people still like going to the gym and, so, you know, the world is the world is starting to come back together. And that's uh, that's a great reason to reexamine your brand is that we have just been through a gut punch uh, of a situation and and our customers are looking at things differently. We're different. Our, our employees are different. Everybody's different. And I think we got to take a hard look and reexamine, as, as you pointed out. Yeah, now is the time for sure. It's, it's a time even for brands that had just recently done it to just 
check it out again, make sure everything's okay. Denise, thank you so much for being on the show. It was uh, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for sharing and uh, for providing us with the inside track on how to uh, get more uh, get more loyalty from customers and uh, outcompete our competitors. So thank you oh, very thank much. You. My pleasure, Joel. It was really, really an honor. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.